is episode 74, and the topic for today will be on oral sensory processing information. The topic idea for today came from a recent conversation that I had with another mom that I've known for several years now. Our conversations usually revolve around discussing some aspect of sensory processing. I thought I would put this show together since these ideas are fresh in my mind for right now. But first, I wanted to announce that I have some very exciting news. Possibly the coolest thing to happen with this podcast so far. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably already know this. But now, you can earn continuing education units or professional development units just by listening to this podcast. If you are an OT, this definitely applies to you, but also any other professional listening that needs CEUs or PDUs depending on your state licensing requirements, this might also work for you too. Possibly PTs, speech therapists, social workers, dietitians, nurses, and I don't know who else needs these for their license. You already listen to the shows, so you might as well get some credit for it too. Here's what you need to do. Go to my website, mymidwesttherapy.com. Find the episode that, you're, that you just listened to or that you're getting ready to listen to. And in the show notes, you will see a yellow buy, uh, buy Now button or link. When you click on that, it will take you to PayPal where you can purchase the test for that episode. Since my shows are generally 30 minutes long, you will get a half of a contact hour for each one that you complete. Once you purchase the test through PayPal, you will receive a PDF with the test and some other information about that episode, like the learning objectives, the title of the show, basically all the things that you'll need when you turn those in for credit with your state. Then you just print the test, take the test, just answer the multiple choice or true-false questions, and send it back to me via email or fax, and I will send you the certificate of completion for your records. You can also take a picture of the test and forms with your phone after you completed them and forward the pictures to my email or scan them and email. Whatever is easier for you works for me. It's as easy as that. Start today with this episode. Check the show notes online, which you can access from your phone or tablet or computer. Click buy now and get started with earning your continuing ed or professional development units that you need for your license renewal. I can tell you that I also have episodes 69, 71, and 72 already set up and ready to go. And I'm continuing to work on more every day, so keep checking them and earning more units. Especially if you've already listened to the episodes, you've already put that time in. Now you just have to do the rest of the process and turn it in or hold on to it for your licensing board. Please check with your own state regulations on their continuing competency requirements. You are responsible for checking on those regulations for yourself. I will provide you with all the information that you need to turn into your state for CEUs to the best of my knowledge. But if your state requires something additional that, than what I give you already, please just let me know and I will help you out if possible. Think about how easy this is. 
You can earn CEUs while you're driving to or from work just by listening in your car. Or listening by the pool this summer for 30 minutes. It's too easy, and we all need these, so get going. I want to stop and take a minute to talk about this podcast and the progress that has occurred here. If you've been listening to me for any length of time, you probably know that I'm always looking for ways to keep this podcast going. Since I don't get paid for the shows or the podcast itself, it's not the most profitable operation out there, but it is time-consuming for me to prepare each show and get everything out there for you guys. I really do enjoy doing it, and this is just another way that you can also help support me and my efforts here to keep these going for you. And for the therapists and other health professionals listening, now you can also get even more out of these shows than you did before. It's very beneficial setup for both of us, especially if you take advantage of the CEUs. I need to give credit to an OT that I've been collaborating with on this and other things in the podcasting world. I've been trying to figure out a way to make the CEU thing possible And through my conversation with them, it became obvious to me that I was already there. I just needed to change the setup a little to make it work. So I want to give this person proper public credit when they're ready, but for now I'll leave it at that. I will also say I can't stress enough how important it is to have these types of conversations with other therapists. When you are least expecting it, you may learn valuable information from them. I feel very lucky that in doing this podcast, I have had the privilege to be able to speak with therapists, not just OTs, but other disciplines as well, in other parts of the country. We are able to share ideas and information and expand on our current knowledge and level of understanding on many OT-related issues. It is really very interesting to find out what services are like in other areas and other states, what goes on there with therapy and working with clients who have special needs in many different settings. I always learn new things from talking with other therapists. So, anyway, enough about all of that for now. Let's get on to the topic for today. Today I will be talking about oral sensory processing, which is, generally speaking, how we process sensations in our mouth. As always, it's not just that simple. But in order to keep things from going all over the place, I'm going to make it that simple for today as much as possible. When we talk about sensory processing, we tend to think about the worst case scenario. The most extreme examples of issues with sensory processing usually come to mind. And using those more extreme examples does help me explain to you more easily how the processes work. But in the real world, not everyone who has an issue or difference with sensory processing will have the most extreme or even obvious signs of it. We definitely need to remember and be aware of this in our practice, because those people who have milder signs of sensory processing issues are still affected by it on some level. Just because it's not extreme doesn't mean it's not real, and it can't be discounted or ignored. The two main ways that I will explain oral sensory processing are sensitivities versus low awareness, and I will be relating these mainly to how they affect a child's ability to eat and drink. For this show, I'm going to focus on the oral sensitivities 
and I will discuss the low awareness in the next episode. When a child has oral sensitivities due to sensory processing issues, this means that they will notice every little thing that happens in and around their mouth. Okay, sorry, forgot to mention I'm talking about extremes again. What it actually means, though, is that their brain processes every stimuli that happens in and around this area, and that they generally find the stimuli to be something that does not feel right or good to them. They might have extreme reactions to things going on in their mouth. On the other hand, a child can have low awareness, which means that it takes them longer to notice stimuli in and around their mouth, or sometimes they don't notice it at all. In this case, it takes a lot more stimulation and extra time for the brain to process or register that something is there, then to respond by chewing or swallowing or whatever the appropriate action is for that situation. But for today, let's get back on the subject of sensitivities. These are kiddos that tend to have a limited diet or are sometimes considered to be picky eaters. They learn at a very early age that certain foods feel okay in their mouth and others don't feel as great. So they might tend to stick with the ones that they know feel okay and at some point along the way decide to avoid the ones that they know don't feel great in their mouth or that they anticipate won't feel good in their mouth based on previous experiences with foods. Unfortunately, when this happens, it tends to continue in this manner and their diet may even continue to become more rigid or limited over time than it already is, unless we find ways to help them with it. Remember, we are talking about the inside of their mouth, which includes their tongue, teeth, insides of their cheeks, roof of the mouth, but also their lips, and the area around their lips and mouth on their face and chin. On the inside, with all of those areas potentially being sensitive, they can also have a more sensitive gag reflex on their tongue, where it is usually farther back on the tongue. Theirs could start closer towards the middle or even towards the front part of the tongue instead, and continue on towards the back area as well. Certain textures might touch the inside part of their cheeks and not feel good to them. Same with their teeth. If they don't like the way certain food feels in their mouth, they might be less likely to want to chew it because of the way it would feel to bite into it and chew. This could potentially result in them moving the food off their teeth area and onto their tongue, then causing the gag reflex to activate, which could make the food come back out very quickly. How likely do you think they are going to be to try that food again anytime soon? This can be scary for the kids and the parents too, and cause them to feel some anxiety with eating because they can't always predict when foods are going to make them do that again. You can see by thinking about it in this way why they might not be too excited to try a new food that you have to offer no matter how excited you are about that food and how much you seem to be enjoying eating it. It seems safer to stick with what you know. On the other hand, as far as the chewing goes, I have also worked with kiddos that will take the tiniest, smallest, barely visible bite of food and quote-unquote chew it nearly 100 times before trying to swallow it. In this case, the feeling of chewing the foods on their teeth might be okay, but they are being protective of their gag reflex 
and trying to munch up the bites as much as possible to make the texture tolerable for touching the back of their tongue and swallowing it. As I said before, not only are we talking about the inside of the mouth, but also the lips and the face area around the mouth. Many kids with sensitivities to the textures or the way that food feels to them will become upset if any little bit of food gets on their face, and for some kids, on their lips, too. These kids learn to stick with foods that won't get messy on their face, or they become very good at eating the foods in a really clean and careful way. They make sure it only gets inside their mouth. You might see them avoiding using their lips to remove the food from a spoon or fork. They might use their teeth to get the food off, or just try and dump it into their open mouth without using their lips as much as possible. If any gets on their face, they will most likely stop everything and either wipe their face themselves or get you to help them wipe it before they will continue eating the next bite. Some kids will push through this even with foods that tend to be a little messy, like yogurt, if they like the flavor and the consistency of the food itself, meaning it's always the same from meal to meal. They can predict that the yogurt, for example, will always feel the same and taste the same or similar depending on the different flavors. Think about the ones that are only the smooth yogurt without any pieces of food or fruit in them. It's the same consistency and texture every time, which makes that food very predictable and safe in their minds. Even though it could be messy potentially, some kids make it work by being extra careful when taking bites to keep it off their face. A lot of kids with sensitivities to the textures of foods will stick to foods that are only one texture. Things like smooth yogurt, crackers, chicken nuggets, french fries, bananas and so many other things. These textures are different from each other, but each food is only one texture, either solid or puree. They will often stay away from foods that are mixed textures, things like soups or casseroles, tacos, burgers, and things like that. These kiddos may be ones that prefer not to use sauces like ketchup, ranch, or barbecue sauce to dip their foods in, both for the mixed texture and the messy getting on their face reasons. Many times the way that the food feels in their mouth is not the only issue. They can also be sensitive to the way things taste, the flavors of the food. It is more common to see kids who have oral sensitivities prefer to eat foods that have less flavor. Can you think of why this might be? If you think about the way that processing works, In this case, the child is highly sensitive to flavors, so even just a small amount of flavor could seem like a lot to them. Their brain can process the flavors of foods very quickly, so what might seem very bland to you or to a person with a typical oral sensory processing system might seem like it has a very strong flavor to this child because of their sensitivities. Now think about what might happen if this same child bit into a sour lemon slice, something that has a lot of flavor. Even people with typical sensory system would make a sour face with this and have a reaction. So imagine the child with sensitivities and how extreme their reaction might be with this. The other aspect to consider is the temperature of foods. Warm, cold, and room temperature are the main options here, 
Just like with the other areas I already mentioned, these kids might be more sensitive to colder or warmer temperatures. It is something to consider and include as part of your ongoing assessment when working with kids who have feeding sensitivities. When we talk about oral sensitivities with feeding, we need to also think about the types of utensils that they're using. Do they prefer spoons and forks that are metal, plastic, or rubber? The way it feels when they take bites off of them can affect the way they eat. It could be that they use their teeth to remove the food rather than their lips because they don't like the way the spoon feels on their lips. Instead of before when we talked about the reason being they don't like the way the food feels on their lips. Of course, it could also be a combination of both. One thing we don't always talk about with this, but is a very important thing to discuss, is how their oral sensory processing sensitivities affect their ability to drink liquids. Now, I'm not talking about the risk of aspiration here. That's always something to watch for with kids, but not the focus of today's discussion. What I am talking about is more what they like to drink, what they refuse to drink, and what they will and won't drink out of due to sensory processing reasons. Just like we look at the textures, flavors, and temperatures of the foods that kids prefer and refuse to eat, we need to look at the same things with their drinks. This, for some reason, seems to get overlooked or somehow dismissed. But when they have oral sensitivities, it doesn't just affect their foods. Although foods seem to be the most obvious and what parents tend to worry about the most, but getting a child to drink liquids is also very important for their overall health. Kids with oral sensitivities may prefer to drink things that have less flavor like water or milk, maybe even vanilla flavored milk, but they might avoid drinks that are more flavorful like some types of juices or lemonades and things like this. They may or may not like drinks that are carbonated due to the fizzy nature of those drinks bubbling up in their mouth and doing unexpected things when they're trying to drink it. It may be too much stimulation in their mouth for them to tolerate the way it feels, even if you think they would like the way that drink tastes. They may not be able to see past the carbonation. Other textures like smoothies and milkshakes or malts can be difficult for some kids with oral sensitivities because of the way those things feel in their mouth. They are a little thicker, and they might have pieces of fruit blended up or just be a little gritty, depending on the type of drink. When they take a drink of that, if they will even try it in the first place, There is so much texture, and each sip can be slightly different in texture depending on the mixture. That combination of factors makes those types of drinks unpredictable, which is usually not something that kids with sensitivities will tolerate well. They tend to stick with things that are predictable, things that are the same every single time that they have them, and drinks are no exception to this. Water, it's the same every time. Milk, that's the same every time too. Those are very consistent. Juices might vary slightly depending on the brand or how much ice or water you might mix in to dilute it. Another variable to drinking is the type of cup or object the child will drink out of. Many times kids with oral sensitivities will prefer cups like sippy cups or straw cups. Why do you think this might be? Think about this for a second. Think about their sensitivities and what these types of cups do 
to make them feel comfortable with drinking out of them. Now think about things like an open cup, or a cup with no lid and no straw, or a water bottle where you take the lid off and drink straight out of the top of the bottle. The sippy and straw cups are going to get that liquid right in their mouth without the possibility of any of it getting on their face. Not just that, but they most likely won't get any on their lips either, or at least not very much. Those cups send that liquid pretty much straight to the back of their mouth where they can just swallow it and experience very little of the actual sensation and flavors of the liquid in the rest of their mouth. The back of our tongue has less taste buds than the front, so due to the natural anatomy of our mouth, they will experience less of the taste stimuli by drinking from these cups in particular. In these situations, it is also common to see kids that will want to only drink out of the same cup all of the time. Or they might want their milk from one cup and water from a different one. And maybe the difference is only the color of the cup and the rest is exactly the same. Kids that have sensitivities often associate all of the details of the experiences with either positive or negative feelings. So if they have a positive experience with drinking milk from sippy cups early on, they often want to continue that same, again, predictable experience each time they drink it. This helps them feel more comfortable and know that it's going to be just like last time and the time before that and the time before that because it all looks the same. This can be difficult for parents because if they didn't get a chance to finish washing that sippy cup from the time before, the child can get upset. And it can be difficult for parents who are still trying to figure all of the sensory stuff out to see why their child won't just drink from this other sippy cup that's exactly the same, but it's just a different color. It even came out of the same package, they often say to me in desperation. Even straw cups, there are so many different types out there. Hard straws versus softer, different different sizes of openings that allow more or less liquid to come out at one time. The way all of these cups themselves feel on their lips can be an issue. Similar to the spoon and fork piece of this discussion where we talk about plastic versus rubber or metal. The different materials of the cups, straws, and the sippies can feel good or bad on the child's lips when they drink. Even the way the cups feel in their hands can affect them. If the cup is dry or if it sweats on the outside, if there are handles or not, and they can feel the coldness of the liquid through the outside of the cup. These are all legitimate things to consider. Now think about the cups without lids and water bottles where the liquid comes up when they tip it to take a drink and touches their lips and their face potentially, depending on how much and how fast the liquid comes out. If the child is sensitive to how things feel on their lips and on their face, trying to drink from these open cups can be very offensive to them and they often try to avoid it. Each sip is very different in the fact that depending on how much they tip the cup and how well they're able to control it when they are taking a drink can affect how much actually touches their face and their lips. It is a more unpredictable way of drinking due to those factors. You can tip a sippy cup all the way up and you still get the same amount each time. But with an open cup, if you tip it just a little too far or a little too fast, 
you might get more touching your face than you did with the last sip. I think now the overriding question is, what do we do about all of this? The answer is, of course, not that simple, but I can give you some things to consider. For one, the age of the child, what is appropriate for their age, but also their developmental level. You may already know this from listening to some previous shows of mine, but I tend to stay away from sippy cups from the beginning. I prefer to move from a bottle to an open cup or a straw cup if the open cup is too difficult at first. The 360 cups are a pretty good option as well, but unfortunately many people don't start working with me or any other OTs until they've already started the sippy cups, and this has become the preferred cup for many kids. When that is the case, again, this is highly depending on each individual situation, but I continue with the sippy to make sure they are getting the amount of fluids they need each day, but start working with the other options to get them used to those as well. So eventually we can weed out the sippies. These are not a good, especially long-term position for kids to use for their oral motor skills. They tend to push their jaw, lower jaw forward and reinforce drinking positions that don't encourage appropriate oral motor development. One of the other things that bottles and sippy cups do is prevent the child's tongue movement from developing from the infant pattern of swallowing to a more mature pattern of swallowing that usually develops around one year of age. As we progress through our swallowing skills, we need to be able to lift the tip of the tongue to start the swallowing process. With the bottles and sippy cups, they don't allow you to get that movement with the front of your tongue for more advanced swallowing. This can lead to continued swallowing difficulties and potentially speech issues. Which also reminds me, I forgot to mention this about the straws. Once the child learns how to drink from a straw and is able to do it well, I would recommend cutting the straw down to make it shorter. This will allow even more of that appropriate tongue movement that we are looking for because the shorter straw won't be pressing down on the front of the tongue. I don't want to get off track here. The point of today's show is really talking about the sensitivities. However, I do want to mention briefly some strategies for teaching children how to drink from a straw and open cup. Many times, they simply just take practice, and they will eventually get it. But sometimes we need to get creative to show them how to get it started. A lot of kids will pick up the straw drinking thing pretty quickly once they see what the straw actually does. If you just stick a cup with a straw in front of a 9-month-old for the first time and see what happens, a lot of times, I can tell you, they might bring it to their mouth and then just end up biting on the straw. They don't know what to do unless you show them the point. Now, some kids will still have trouble even after they see what it does for a variety of reasons. Those reasons could be so many things, but again, I'm sticking with the sensory aspect for today. So work with different types of straws to see which ones they can tolerate having in their mouth and touching their lips especially. One strategy is taking a straw and holding it in your hand, dip it in their preferred drink, and get some to come up into the straw by tapping your finger on the end of it. 
offer it to the child by placing the opposite end in their, in their mouth and letting a little bit of it come out at a time. You guys have probably already tried this before with some of your kids. Um, but the goal is to get them to put their lips around the straw once the liquid starts coming out, or even better, right before the liquid starts coming out. You can control the amount that comes out so you don't overwhelm them with too much at once, but enough so that they see how the straw works. By using a drink they prefer, that will help them, that will help make the experience more familiar to them, and they will be more likely to want to keep trying it if they already like the liquid that's coming out of it. Anytime we can make something seem silly and fun, I believe we have a better chance of getting them to be into it as well, especially with the younger kids. I know that as parents who are concerned about the child's development and everything, things can tend to be more serious and matter-of-fact. But kids pick up on that to some degree, so try and help parents out that are having trouble with this um, show them, help them find ways to make the silly straw drinking a game somehow. It may not help completely, but it could at least lighten the situation if it starts getting to be too stressful. This goes with pretty much anything related to child development and just working with and interacting with kids in general. But I know that eating and drinking issues, especially when they affect a child's nutrition and health, can make meals and drinking fluids a stressful time of day for everyone involved. So a little silliness goes a long way towards alleviating some bits of anxiety and stress in these moments. As a parent in the moment, it can be difficult to remember this and to see that going on. So we as a therapist can help keep things in perspective when we're there and get the silliness started if needed. Not to make light of the situation, of course, but to maybe help everyone relax somewhat and make it seem a little bit less like a chore or a battle. So getting on with it, other straw ideas, using a straw to blow bubbles in a bowl of water, to get used to having their lips on the straw and making air go through it, then you can turn around and practice drinking it that way too. They can use the straw to blow little colored cotton balls across the table or any other very light-weighted objects like wadded-up tissue paper scraps. You can see who can get them to go across the table first. Or using the straw to drink up the extra milk left over from cereal in their bowl. Or drink yogurt or applesauce from a bowl with the straw too. Of course, you probably don't want to do this shortly after you've just done the blowing activity with the straw because they may end up blowing applesauce all over the room. I tend to use those Take and Toss brand reusable straw cups when learning how to drink from the straw because you can squeeze the cup slightly and the liquid will come up out of it. This shows them how, <coughs> excuse me, how the straw and the whole cup works, especially when they can see the liquid come up through the straw. If you can get them to put their lips on the straw or at least get it close to their open mouth when you squeeze it so they can get some in, and they can usually pretty quickly learn to close their lips on it and maybe even start drinking it without you squeezing it. It's definitely not always that easy, but we eventually get there. For the open cups, especially with kids that do not like the liquids getting on their face, one of the easiest ways to do this is during water play. Right now it's summer here and we can go outside and play in the water. This is a perfect time to have some small kid-sized cups around 
and let them fill the cups with water and play around with scooping and dumping them in a large bowl or water table if it's clean. Finding fun ways to get them into dumping the water down the front of their belly and up on their own shoulders and maybe even dunking their chin in the cup that's filled with water. Wherever you need to start with this for their own comfort level. These things can also be done in the bath during bath time. The problem with that is that after we move past these things, we really want them to start trying to take some sips from the cups, and bath water isn't necessarily the ideal water for drinking if they end up doing that. So I will definitely leave that up to your discretion. The idea is to give them the control with the cup. They get full control over it. You are not coming at them with a cup and asking them to take a drink. They are playing with the cups, and you are playing with some cups too. And if there's other kids around, that would be great. So you are modeling the actions with the dumping and taking sips, but you are not bringing your cup towards their face or towards them at all. When the kids have control over the situation, they tend to do more than you would expect because they get comfortable with it on their own time. When you come at them, it can throw things off for some kids, and they may get defensive and retreat. Now, instead of starting at ground zero, you may be starting at negative. It can be hard to let them do it on their own because we tend to want to help too much and make it right. In this case, it's playtime, and it doesn't have to be right. The point is to get them comfortable with the activity and the feeling of the liquid running over their skin. If they are already more comfortable with that, then they can just do some practicing with taking sips if they want to, and if they spill, it doesn't matter because it's water play anyway. Two points to consider now. I mentioned earlier that with sippy cups, the liquid just goes in and straight back to the back of their mouth for swallowing. With open cups and straw cups where the straws have been cut shorter, the liquid comes to the front of the mouth And then the child has to move the liquid with their tongue movements to the back so they can swallow it. This is what we ultimately want them to do. But this also adds sensation to their entire mouth rather than than just skipping the front and going straight to the back. So you need to keep this in mind with kids that have oral sensitivities because if you are having trouble getting them to drink from these other cups, that could be part of it too. If that is the case... You can use additional oral desensitizing techniques, like with things like vibration, toothbrushing, a nook brush, chewy tubes, and other things like this to help them get used to the sensations in their mouth in a way that is more comfortable for them, and hopefully help settle those sensitivities too. Something I haven't talked about yet is this issue of sensitivities with teeth. Now, I did mention that some kids with sensitivities may not want to chew as much because of the way it feels on their teeth, but the other thing to think about is the sensitivities with teeth that are loose and eventually fall out as baby teeth, or if they have a tooth that gets chipped or cracked or they have a cavity. Even if the tooth isn't necessarily causing any pain for the child, just the fact that it feels different, they will notice it and will continue to notice it, possibly every time they move their tongue, and when they talk or eat or drink or just swallow. With a typical sensory system, 
You might be able to ignore the way this feels or get used to it after a while and be okay with it, as long as it's not hurting. But for a child who is highly sensitive in their mouth, their brain continues to notice and respond and react to the sensation of the tooth that is either no longer completely smooth as it was before or it wiggles around because it's loose and they just can't stop thinking about it. It can be very distracting and can also make them not want to eat much or drink much because it just bugs it even more. Then, even if you pull that loose baby tooth, now there's going to be a large gaping hole there. And that can be distracting for them until the new tooth grows into place. These are things that a child may not really be able to tell you, or maybe they won't really even be conscious of it. Um, or conscious of the fact that it is bothering them and maybe annoying them or making them feel anxious in some way. So you need to know about this. Keep it in mind, especially if you are seeing an increase in feeding or drinking issues that might otherwise seem unexplainable. For one thing, one final thing to mention here for these kiddos with oral sensitivities, one of the other issues I often see is that they don't eat or drink as much volume of food and liquids that we would expect them to for their age. And this might be due to the whole oral sensitivity thing where they can only tolerate so much sensation from the food and drinks before they are just done with it for that moment. But another piece that could be a factor here is considering that the food and drinks go down to their stomach. If the child is so sensitive in their mouth, they could also notice or feel everything that goes down, and they might feel it going all the way down through their esophagus to their stomach in some way. Any stretch of the stomach starting to fill up with food or drinks can feel like a very large stretch to this child. They might be so sensitive that they can tell the stomach is starting to get some food or drink in it, and think that they feel full much faster than they would if they didn't have these sensitivities. This can be a problem because we, of course, want to make sure they are eating enough food and gaining appropriate weight for their development, but also drinking enough fluids each day to prevent dehydration, which can lead to constipation and other issues. One strategy you can try in this situation is offering smaller meals more frequently throughout the day, and if possible, slowly over time increasing the volume as you can. Remember that water is filling too, but water is a very important thing for us to drink and I still highly recommend it. But just keep that in mind, that just drinking water can make the child feel more full because the liquid is settling in their stomach and they will notice even what I would consider a small amount. It can be challenging to balance getting them to eat enough food and also drink enough water without getting too full from one or the other so that they end up getting not enough of something or both. I'm going to end there for today. Guys, get your CEUs, and thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.